Psalm 104, verses 2 through 4. Psalm 104, verses 2 through 4. I'm going to read it to you in the New International Version. Psalm 104, verses 2 through 4. Psalm 104, verses 2 through 4. This is what it says. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chamber on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariots and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers and flames of fire his servants. I'm going to read that again. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his, of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers and flames of fire his servants. I'm going to focus on the second part of verse 3. He makes the clouds his chariot. Say this. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. And rides on the wings of the wind. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would speak to us clearly and powerfully by your word and your spirit. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. The Lord clothes himself with light as with a garment. He gets up in the morning and says, what shall I wear? But he doesn't look in the closet. He looks in the heavens and grabs the sun and wraps himself up in the sun. That's what I'm wearing today. He stretches out the heavens like a tent. He says, I need a spacious place to dwell in. I need a space that I can, I can kick back in. I like high ceilings. <laughs> I like an open floor plan. He stretches out the heavens as a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. If you would imagine going out to the middle of the ocean at the deepest point, right above the deepest point of the ocean floor and deciding to build a house right there. How deep would the beams of that house have to go in order to penetrate the ocean floor so that you could build a house above the ocean floor? That's literally what the psalmist is saying. The psalmist is saying God goes all the way to the deepest of the deep to lay the foundations of what he is doing at a higher level. That is, whatever God does at the level you see has roots that go down deeper than you can yeah, possibly yeah, imagine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good. He rides... On the cloud. What does it say? He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes the clouds his chariot. When you see a cloud, you see it from below. When God sees a cloud, he sees it from above. But he's talking about a specific kind of cloud here. See, when we think of clouds, we think of what poet Denise Levertov spoke of as ephemeral billows languid upon the sky's moody ocean. We think of those white, fluffy things 
that just kind of hang there and, and just make the sky look nice. You know when people say there's not a cloud in the sky? From a photographer's perspective, that's a horrible picture. Like you need some clouds in the sky that, that kind of create this creative background to the picture. That's not the kind of cloud that God rides as a chariot. Matter of fact, that would be a pretty boring ride because it ain't going nowhere. Like can you imagine the Lord just sitting on that cloud like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> like that's not a very nice chariot. When it, The kinds of clouds the Lord makes as his chariots are what we would call a storm cloud. Like when you look up and you see a dark, foreboding, gray, menacing cloud that covers the sun from view, that darkens the whole world, that you know is filled with pretentious rains that are about to bring on a storm, you look at it and see a storm coming. God looks and says, I got a new whip. Wow. <laughs> I'm about to Holy Ghost ride this one. What the psalmist is talking about is the distinction, the infinite qualitative distinction in the words of Kierkegaard between God's experience of a storm and your experience of a storm. You, you and I experience storms as catastrophes. God experiences storms as vehicles. You and I see a storm as a great menacing threat to our well-being. God sees a storm as an opportunity for acceleration. Yeah, 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 yeah. When God sees a storm, he says, oh, we're getting there quicker than I thought. I know I've promised my, my people some stuff, and it was going to take a while, but thanks to this storm, we're going to get there quicker. Yeah, yeah. He is Lord over the storm. He rides on the storm, which means that he makes it go where he determines it should go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, the prophet Isaiah tells us, and that is, God speaks to the prophet Isaiah and tells us that as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways and his thoughts than our thoughts. And he says, but then the rain comes down from heaven and doesn't return until it replenishes the earth, providing seed for the sower and bread for food, literally bread for the eater. And I resonate with that because I'm an eater. Come on, somebody. I got an anointing to eat. He says, so is my word which proceeds from my mouth. It does not return to me void, but it accomplishes the purpose for which I send it. And what does he send his word to do? He sends his word to bridge the gap between his thoughts and our thoughts, between his ways and our ways. Literally, when he says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, what he's literally saying is, I think differently than you think. Yep. Yep. And, and how do we define differently? He says, I think at a higher level than you think. Yeah. Then he sends us his word and says, here's what I think. And if we receive his word and meditate on it day and night, we're actually thinking his thoughts with him. Okay. So that now I can say, I think like you think. This is where Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Literally, think like he thought. Yeah. Think like God thinks. You say, well, I want to know what God thinks. Then read the scriptures. Yeah. 
The scriptures give us the very thoughts of God. Remember the psalmist said it in Psalm 139. He said, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they should be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. When he said, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. He wasn't talking about my thoughts about you. He was talking about your thoughts about me. How do I know that? Because if you look at the context of that passage, he says, for you formed me in my, for he says, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My substance was not hidden from you when I was formed in secret. When I was made in the, in the deepest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. And then he says, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. Do you hear what he's saying? Your thoughts about me, not my thoughts about you. What I think about God doesn't mean anything. What God thinks about me means everything. God is thinking God's thoughts. It's not thinking your thoughts about God. Your thoughts about God are not worthy of him anyway. What, what you think about God is far less than who he is. But what God thinks about you is far greater than who you think you are. David was literally saying, I've been meditating on your thoughts about me. And I've been meditating on your thoughts about you. Because I've been meditating on your word day and night. I think like you think. And then he says, because my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, my ways are higher than your ways. And my ways are not just my behaviors, but, my, but the way I live out of my experience of the world. Do you realize that your experience of your life is directly connected to the way you think about your life. Yeah, 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 yeah. The way you think about something yeah. will determine the way you experience that thing. That's good. Do you realize two people can experience the same yeah. exact situation, yeah. but experience it in radically different ways yeah. because they simply think differently from yeah. one another yeah. Yeah. about that yeah. situation? Yeah. We find this modeled for us in the book of Mark, Chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, this, Jesus had been teaching and healing. He had been dealing with the multitudes, and evening comes, and he says to his disciples in verse 35, let us go over to the other side. I want you to keep a mental note of that in your mind, that yeah. Jesus was the one who initiated the journey. The disciples did not come to Jesus and say, I think we better get going. And Jesus said, well, I thought we should stay, but all right, we'll go. The disciples had not initiated the journey. Jesus initiated the journey. He said, it's time for us to be getting up out of here. Let me tell you something. When Jesus says, it's time to be getting up out, it's time to be getting up out. Yep. Yeah. Like if Jesus says, let's go, like, you know, I got a daughter. When we say, let's go, we, give me a second. Hold on. Wait, I'm not ready. Stop rushing me. You know, we got to deal with all of that nonsense. Are you ready to go? Yeah, I'm ready to go. And then we get to the door. Wait, I don't have a jacket. I thought you said you were ready to go. Having a jacket is part of being ready to go. Hold on, I can't find my shoes. Putting on your shoes is part of being ready to go. You know, many of us are like that, right? We're like that all the time. How many, how many times has the Lord had to tell you to do something before you finally did it? Huh? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I know the Lord is telling me I shouldn't be in this relationship, but... 
I'm trying to find my shoes. I'm trying to find my jacket. <laughs> Hold on, Lord. Hold on, Lord. I know the Lord told me to start tithing, but I'm trying to find my shoes. I'm trying to find my jacket. I know the Lord told me to go back to school, but I know the Lord's telling me to stop sleeping with this person, but <laughs> yeah, you better put on them shoes and put on that jacket and get up out of that house. <laughs> Come on, somebody. When the Lord says it's time to go, it's time to go. When the Lord says get up out of there, it's time to get up out of there. You better have your shoes and your jacket by the door ready to go. When the Lord said to the disciples, it's time to go, it was time to go. First of all, the Lord initiated the journey. Second of all, the Lord articulated the destination. He says, let us go over to the other side. Notice that he does not say, let us just get into the boat and see where it takes us. Let's just play it by ear. Don't know where we're going, and I'm fine not knowing. Just see where the winds take us. We're just going to just go off into the great blue yonder, and whatever befalleth us. <laughs> no, he did not simply initiate the journey but he articulated the destination. Yeah. We're not simply getting into the boat for the purpose of getting into the boat. Right. We're not just getting up out of here. We're going to the other side. Yeah, 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 yeah. Keep that in mind as we move forward yeah. through this story because yeah. that, my friends, is the key to the whole lesson today. Yeah. Leaving the crowd behind, <laughs> verse 36. I don't know what they're laughing at, but it must be good. <laughs> Leaving the crowd behind, yeah. They took him along just as he was in the boat. Isn't it interesting? He said, let's go, and they had to take him along. <laughs> he said, let's go. It's interesting that there's always a give and take huh. in our relationship with God. Yeah. God initiates, and then we have to pursue. Mm. There's yeah. always a space in which God says, it's time to go this way, and then he waits till we start pulling on his coat saying, Lord, you said it's time to go this way. You see, this is what prayer is all about. We must understand that what we are praying and crying out to God for is simply the fulfillment of what he has already determined and he has already promised. Yeah. However, we do influence him in the mix yeah. because he leaves a space between promise and fulfillment. Yeah. And during that space, yeah, 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 he's looking yeah. for us to believe the promise so fervently that we start pulling him into yeah. the boat. Yeah. Meaning, had the disciples just sat around and said, well, Jesus said it's time to go, so I guess, you know, he's going to tell us when it's time to go. You know, we're just going to sit here and just kind of wait. No, no, no. No, if we tell my daughter, let's go to In-N-Out, you better believe she's going to start pulling us into the boat. You better believe. She's, Daddy, you promised we are going to In-N-Out. She'll start telling me, where is your shoes? She'll start telling me, you don't got your coat on. Mm. Leaving the crowd behind. If you want to follow Jesus anyway, you're going to have to be willing to leave the crowd behind. Yeah. 
Because Jesus never says, ever, I never saw any place in Scripture where Jesus said, you know, guys, the crowd's going this way. Why don't we just, just kind of go and let's just go with the flow. Let's just not step on any toes. Let's just move in the direction of the popular opinion. Let's just kind of, let's just kind of see where it goes and just go with the people. If you want to follow Jesus, you've got to be willing to go left when everybody else goes right. You've got to be willing to go east when everybody else goes west. We're getting somewhere. They took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. That, to me, is powerful. There were also other boats with him. Have you ever felt like it's too late to go where God is going? It means that Jesus and his disciples got in their boat, and there were other people that saw them leaving and said, wherever they're going, I'm going too. I might not be in that boat, but I'm going to get in my own boat and I'm going to row in the direction of Jesus. Sometimes you feel like you're behind, but as long as you're following in the direction of Jesus, you can still get there. And this is clear throughout in the, all four of the Gospels. As you found, Jesus had his 12, which was his inner circle. There were also 120 people that Jesus never said, come and follow me. They just followed. You're like, I'm going to follow him till he tells me to leave. <laughs> Which means the 12 were following him as an act of obedience. The 120 were, were wow. um, what's the word I'm looking for? They were, they were grandfathering themselves into the obedience of the 12. Yes. Yes. Meaning, I'm going to attach myself to your obedience. Yes. I didn't hear from God directly, but you heard from God, and I believe you heard from God, so I'm just going where I see you go. There's a time in the body of Christ and in the kingdom of God where you don't even have to have heard from God as long as you're connected to someone who has. As long as you, listen, you got to make sure you're either going where God has directly told you to go or where somebody you're connected to has been commanded by God to go. But either way, I'm going to move in the direction that I see Jesus doing it, whether I'm in your boat or my own little boat, even if I got to swim in the direction of Jesus. I'm going to be out there in a little raft but I'm going in the direction of Jesus. Yes. Amen. Amen. Verse 37. A furious squall came up. What's a furious squall? A big, bad, nasty storm. It didn't start sprinkling. It started storming. It was a furious... When you take a natural phenomenon like weather, a storm, and you ascribe emotion to it, it was furious. It was angry. Yeah. It was fierce. Yeah. You know that that was some extreme weather. Now, yeah, yeah. now watch. How do you feel now? I'm, I'm just trying to follow Jesus. Yeah. And he took me right into the middle of a storm. Yeah. Yeah. Because we all know that the sign that something's the will of God is that everything goes well when you get there, right? Yeah. <laughs> that is the sign of spiritual immaturity. In our spiritual adolescence, everything has to go right or we just doubt that we're in the will of God. Mm -hmm. As soon as something goes wrong, it couldn't have been the will of God because the will of God is for my life to be good. <laughs> I know the Lord didn't tell me to marry this person. I shouldn't have married them. Mm. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, it went bad. If it was really the will of God, we wouldn't be having these problems, right? So you start doubting. As soon as a storm hits your marriage, you start doubting. I, I don't think it was the Lord. <laughs> I wasn't following. I see. I made a mistake. I didn't. Can I tell you something? Whether it was the Lord or not, now it is. <laughs> the minute you said I do, let me tell you what the will of the Lord is. You in the will of God now? 
You might not have been before. Maybe it wasn't the will of God before. But the moment you said, I do, God said, this is now my will. (laughs) Sometimes the Lord leads you right into the middle of a storm. And it's him. Why would the Lord lead you right into the middle of a storm? Why would God say, come on, get on the boat. We're going somewhere. Yeah, we're going, we're going, we're going somewhere. Yeah, you, you just, where are we going, Lord? You'll see. Just, come on. Yeah, everybody on the boat, we're going somewhere. <laughs> like the Lord is just smiling, going, yeah, they have no clue. Why would the Lord take you into the middle of a storm? Maybe because he experiences the storm in a way that's completely different wow. yeah. than the way you experience the storm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because he's thinking about the storm in a way that's completely different yeah. than the way you think about the storm. He rides on the storm. He's Holy Ghost riding that whip. His thoughts are higher and his ways are higher, which means he's living above the storm. You're living beneath the storm. That's why you're experiencing it in a way that's completely contrary than the way he experiences it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You say, well, that makes sense because, you know, he's in heaven. I'm on the earth. But Jesus was on the earth. Jesus came to earth to show us how to live above something while we're still in it. Watch what happens. I love this. Verse 38. First of all, verse 37, we've got to finish it. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. We're not talking about yeah. a violent storm that was all outside the ship. The storm was inside the ship. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like the whole boat was drenched with water. It looked like the boat was going to fill up with water and sink. Yeah. They were within inches of their lives, and they all knew it. Verse 38, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping <laughs> on a cushion. it's interesting that both Matthew, Mark, and Luke all three of them add that little piece to the puzzle he was sleeping on a pillow he literally got in the boat he's like I need some pillows Jesus knew the storm was coming but saw it as an opportunity for rest the disciples saw it as an occasion for fear the disciples saw the storm and said, it is most appropriate to be afraid right now. <laughs> Jesus saw the storm and said, it is most appropriate to take a nap. <laughs> Jesus is in the comfortable place. While they're in chaos, he's in comfort. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All because of what's happening between this ear and that ear. His experience of the storm is radically different from theirs because his thinking is radically different from theirs. In his mind and heart, he's already above the storm, riding it with his daddy, going, man, this is cool. Uh, Turn the music up, dad. Uh. The disciples woke him. They literally threw down all their buckets and they ran downstairs into the stern and they woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? 
I like it in the NKJV. It says, do you not care that we are perishing? It's closer to the literal language there. He uses present tense verbs. Do you not know that we are? Do you not care that we are perishing? Yeah. That we are already in the process of dying. Yeah. You hear that language? Don't you care that we are dying right now? We are already in the process of dying. Actually, they're not dying. They are prophetically anticipating yeah, yeah, death. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't have any water in their lungs yet. It's, it's on the boat. It's not in their lungs. You are, dying, you are drowning when the water fills your lungs, not when it fills your boat. But when it starts to fill their boat, they already prophetically anticipate, next is my lungs. <laughs> Lord, do you not care that we are already in the process of dying? We are prophetically experiencing our impending death. Do you realize that whatever you anticipate, you experience? Whatever you anticipate, you're experiencing right now. Whatever whatever you anticipate, if if you think husbands, if you think your wife's mad at you, whether she is or not, she already is. In your experience, you're already experiencing her wrath. She hadn't said a word to you, you're already in trouble. You know what I'm talking about? My wife and my mother and I, we went to Stanford Hospital yesterday to visit somebody and to pray for them. And uh, I saw my wife. My wife said, I'm going to ride with mom. And the whole time I'm driving there like... What are they talking about? What's she telling my mom? And we got to the hospital. I was like, she comes and she stands next to me. I'm like, am I in trouble? (laughs) She's like, why would you be in trouble? I don't know. Every time you and my mom talk, I'm in trouble for something. (laughs) I was already prophetically anticipating. And I said to my wife, am I in trouble? And she goes, why? What would you do? I was like, I ain't did nothing. I ain't did nothing. <laughs> She's like, then why are you worried? I don't know. You're talking to my mom. Something's wrong. Something's, you know, something that I don't even know I did. <laughs> I must have did something. <laughs> Woo! I enjoy myself all by myself sometimes. <laughs> sometimes my wife looks over and sees me laughing. She's like, what you laughing about? I'm like, you don't want to know. <laughs> you wouldn't get it anyway. It's a black joke. But, um... <laughs> Lord, do you not care uh-huh. yeah. that we're already dying? Have you ever said that in the middle of a storm? I'm yeah, dying. Yeah. Just, I'm dying. How are you doing? I'm dying. Yeah. No, you're not. The water's in your boat, not in your lungs. But my finances just got hit. Yeah, it's in your bank account, but it's not in your lungs. My boss asked for a meeting tomorrow. I think he might fire me. All right, the water's in your boat, but it's not in your lungs. You don't have a pink slip yet, but you're already freaking about, how am I going to provide for my family? Well, you haven't gotten fired yet. (laughs) If we could simply save our prophetic anticipation for good things, life would be so much better if you simply make a decision. 
I'm not saying no bad thing will happen to me, but how about I don't start suffering till it actually happens? Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, if you just made that decision, you know, I might die, but how, how about I don't start dying till I'm actually dying? It's like my, my great aunt. She died at 100 years old, but she started dying at 75. She's 75 years old. Every time I saw her, she'd talk about, when I die, I know I'm not going to be here long, but when I die, I'm going to give you my car. And she outlived that car by 25 years. She used to say, I don't know why I'm still here. He must have something for me to do. She said that for 30 years. I finally said, he ain't got nothing for you to do. You're just here. Get over it. You're 99 years old. You ain't got nothing to do. You're just here. Thank him for it. Just be thankful. Some of us start dying at 25 years old. You're already dying. You ain't even lived. Yeah. You talk to 16-year-olds who are already dying. Yeah. You're not dying yet. You oh, just man. started living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we could simply reserve our prophetic anticipation for the Lord. Yeah. Like, if I could simply begin to anticipate and pre-experience prophetically the things God has promised me, And then just approach potential danger as, yeah, it might happen, but if it does, I'll suffer then. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not going to prophetically suffer. Yeah. <laughs> just see yeah. people just walking around like this. Oh, <laughs> what, what's wrong? What happened? Well, it hasn't happened yet, but I'm just getting ready. Oh! <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's so true. Lord, don't you care that we're dying? Don't you care that we are drowning? Yeah. You don't look like you're drowning to me. Yeah. Watch this. He got up. He doesn't respond, number one. He gets up, out of my way, goes outside, says, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Yeah. He's riding the storm. Yeah. He can stop it whenever he wants. Yeah. Wow. He's riding the storm. Say, All right, be still. <laughs> the storm is the freeway. Before the storm, you're on the city streets. The storm is a vehicle. It is a means of acceleration. But when we freak out in the midst of the storm, he stops it prematurely. Yeah. They were, he said to his disciples, verse 40, why are you so afraid? Yeah. Do you still have no faith? I like in the NKV, NKJV it says, why is it that you have no faith? Like, how can, how, he says, how is it actually? How is it that you have no faith? In other words, how is it possible that you have no faith? Yeah. The disciples came to him and said, how is it possible that you're sleeping? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And he says to them, how is it possible that you're not believing? Yeah, 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 yeah. You see how differently they think? Yeah, 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 yeah. The way they think, it's absolutely imperative that we freak out right now. Yeah. And the way he thinks is, it's absolutely natural that we believe right now. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How is it possible that you have no faith? How could that possibly, it boggled, like Jesus is literally, his mind is boggled by unbelief. Yeah. He's like, I, I'm so confused. You want to see God confused? <laughs> Just doubt. Oh. <laughs> and God's like, what? Yeah. I, I, uh, uh, what? You don't believe me? Mercy. You don't trust me? I, I mean, like, what have I done? How have I shown myself unfaithful? Yeah. When did I let you down? Like, are you dead yet? How many times have you thought you were going to die? I mean, don't you realize that you're, you're, I mean, listen, if there was a prophet who got up here on the stage every Sunday and gave out words that were always wrong, right? I mean, just imagine every Sunday the guy gets up, welcome our church prophet. Okay, um, um, the Lord says you're going to marry a black man. You're like, I'm already married to a Korean. Oh, oh darn it. Uh, the Lord says, uh, you don't have any kids, and you've been waiting for him to open your womb. Nope, we've already got three kids. Oh, oh, um, the Lord says, you're 25 years old, about 26, 25. No, I'm already 100. Oh, oh. <laughs> sorry, sorry. If there was a prophet that got up and did that every Sunday and was wrong 100% of the time and I let him get back up every Sunday, you would stop coming to this church. You'd be like, let's go to Living Hope. No, man, I'm not going there. How come? Because there's this prophet. He's a, he's a prophet liar. He's not a prophesier. <laughs> he's just been getting up, calling out crazy stuff, and he's always wrong. I don't want to. And if he came to you and says, thus says the Lord, you wouldn't believe a word he said. But yet you still believe your own fear. And it's wrong 100% of the time. And you still believe it. How many times has your fear told you you're going to die? And, it, and it'll come tomorrow and tell you, and you'll believe it again. It's a false prophet. And you still believe it. Let me prove it. You're not dead yet. It's funny. On the front end of, of financial trials, you ever gone through a really deep financial time where you, it looks like you're going to lose everything? Yeah. I don't know how we're going to make it. I don't know how we're going to provide. I don't know, I don't know. But then on the other side of that, I've seen so many families go through that. I'm going through it myself. Like, you're still here. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're still here. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't look like any of your kids have starved to death. <laughs> That's true. We ate every day. Yeah. And you don't look like you've missed a meal. <laughs> <laughs> Nope, I got three hots in a cot. <laughs> so how did you make it through that? I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> the letter I O E N O. I don't even know. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I don't know how. I don't, I don't know. You know what that's called? That's called the sustaining power of God. What if you had faith in that on the front end of the trial? Like, okay, just lost my job, just lost my home, just lost my car, but we're going to make it somehow. 
still got my dog and my wife. Amen. It's not quite a country western song yet. <laughs> why is it that you have no faith? You know why it is that they had no faith? Because in the middle of the storm, they forgot the first yeah. word that Jesus gave them. Yeah. What's the yeah. first word he gave them? Let's get into the boat and go to the other side. Yeah. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. Before the storm, he gave them an instruction and a promise. Yeah. Instruction, get on the boat. It's his idea, not their idea. Yeah. And promise, we're going to the other side. In the middle of the storm, they forgot the simple instruction and the simple promise the Lord gave them when they first got on the boat. That's what storms do. They cloud your mind so that you can't remember that God gave you a very simple instruction and a very simple promise. Why is it that you have no faith? Because you forgot the instruction and the promise that the Lord gave you before this whole storm started. It was so simple that you missed it. You didn't even interpret it as a promise or an instruction. Jesus just said, let's go. No, no, no. That wasn't just let's go. That was, a, that was an instruction and a promise. Yeah. God doesn't say anything casually. Yeah. How do you make it through the storm? You remember the clear word of instruction that God gave you. We're going through a storm right now. We're going through a financial storm right now, me and my wife and my family. I got rid of my car yesterday. I sold it. And, I, and it was worth several thousand dollars less than I bought it for. So I had to pay them to take my car. <laughs> Will you take my car? Here's 3,670. <laughs> I had to pay somebody to take, to take my car. I get put in our 30 days notice on our place last night. We're moving out. And we're actually going to move in with my parents for a few months. No, no, wait, ho, ho, ho. No, 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 no. This is not a sob story. Yeah. This is not the beginning of a country song. Yeah. Yeah. This is a reset. Yeah. It's just a, and it's just temporary. It's just, you know, just for a couple months. Just, you know, just, and they got a five-bedroom house. Everybody's gone. It's just them anyway. I'd be scared to sleep in a five-bedroom house by myself. All that room upstairs. You wake up in the middle of the night. It's too quiet. Especially since I grew up in Oakland. I'm used to noise. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You hear noise, all is well. Yeah. You wake up and it's quiet, somebody's up there. Yeah. <laughs> it's too quiet. <laughs> be up there with a billy club. <laughs> you know what it is? It's a reset. The storm. See, God rides the storm. You got to learn how to ride your storms. You got to learn how to see it as a vehicle. Yeah. You got to learn how to experience loss as prophetic of gain. Yeah. You got to learn how to look at your trials and say, this is not a bad thing. This is the beginning of a better thing. Because yeah. sometimes in order for God to give you the better thing, he's got to blow up the, yeah. the, the, the thing. Yeah. Do you hear what I'm yeah. saying yeah. to you today? Yeah. You got to think differently about it. I, when I gave my car, my wife and daughter came to pick me up yesterday, and Alethea tells my wife, daddy's going to be crying when he gets in the car. Watch. Daddy's going to be crying. I got in the car. I felt so good. I was like $1,200 a month gone. Do you know how much that car cost me? A $600 payment plus $400 in gas plus $157 insurance plus 
You know how much the tune-ups are in a car like yeah. that? I said, the devil is a liar. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-uh. I didn't get rid of a car. I got rid of a burden. Wow. Yeah, yeah. See, that's the problem. Yeah. A storm hits when God blows up something that you see as good, but he sees as bad. Yeah. When he takes something away that you think is a privilege, but he sees it as a liability. He says, no, no, no. This thing is taken out of you every month more than you have to give. I'm breaking this thing off of your life because I'm making room. He stretches out the heavens like a tent. He says, I'm making room for something bigger and better that I have for your life. Mm -mm. Don't you feel bad for me? I ain't lost nothing. Why? Because every day when I go back before the Lord in prayer, do you know what he reminds me of? What did I tell you? Yeah. What did I tell you? Yeah. But Lord, we're in the middle of this. What did I tell you? Yeah. Lord, you told me to go to Emeryville. And then you told me later to go to San Francisco. Yeah. Those are the instructions that you gave me. Then keep doing that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Keep doing what I told you. In the midst of the storm, the only thing you have left is your obedience. Yeah, yeah. As long as I know that I'm in the place of obedience, the storm yeah. cannot listen. Jesus, first of all, now, okay, okay, let's listen. It'd be one thing. I, I, I want to make sure you see this thing from every side, yeah. okay? It'd be one thing if Jesus said, you guys get in the boat. Come on, get in the boat. Everybody in the boat. Okay, see you later. <laughs> and then push them out into the storm and say, bye-bye. <laughs> They don't know what's coming. <laughs> Even still, they would have been okay. Yeah. Why? Because his word sent them. Yes. They had at least his word. And matter of fact, he did do that one time. He sent them out in the boat, then went up to the top of the mountain to pray. And then the winds were blowing against them, and they were straining at the oars all night long. And then when, the storm was, when it was time for the storm to be over, he came walking out on the waters. They were still okay. Why? <laughs> They didn't yet have his presence, but at least they had his word. Yeah, 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 yeah. But in this storm, in Mark chapter 4, the yeah. disciples had more than a word. They had his presence. He was ah, sleeping in the boat. Yes, yes. They had his word. Let's go on the boat. And his presence. I'm coming on the boat with you. Yeah. Are you with me this yes. morning? Yes. Some of you are in a place where you got his presence, but you, I mean, you got his presence and his word. Others are in the place where you got his word, but you don't have his presence. Either way, you're okay. Why? Yes. If you can simply remember what God told you, and if you can simply remember that God is with you, you can make it through every storm. Come on, somebody. The storm can't wash you over. The fire can't burn you out. Uh. Grace, come up here and start playing this keyboard. Where's Grace at? Huh. But you got to think differently. You got to think differently. You got to see the storm as a vehicle. You got to see it as a means of divine acceleration. We've been through so many storms this year, more storms than, than you could think that a person could go through in a single year. And Sonny and I were talking about it the other day. It said, look at all these storms we've had to go through this year. And storms in different countries and, and storms abroad and attacks on our character and and loss of reputation. And we've gone through all of this stuff. It's just been upheaval after upheaval. And then all of a sudden we get hit with these huge tax bills. And, and, and all of a sudden the storm starts to, the water starts to fill up our own ship. 
Sunday and I were talking about it. And she said, look at all these storms. I said, I know, isn't it awesome? It's as if God said, I've got something so awesome prepared for 2019. How can I use 2018 to prepare them for the blessing of 2019? I'll tell you what I'll do. I will send a storm to wash out everything that would hinder them in 2019. I will send a storm to destroy the foundations of everything that would possibly hinder them in 2019. You see, we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The scripture says all things must be shaken so that that which cannot be shaken may remain. Sometimes the Lord sends a shaking and stuff starts falling around you. Stop looking at what's falling. Look at what's not falling. If it can be shaken, let it be shaken. If it can fall, let it fall. If it can be destroyed, let it be destroyed. But you simply open your eyes and look around. That Look at what's not falling. Look at what's not being shaken. Our marriage is not falling. Our marriage is not being shaken. Our trust in the Lord is not falling. Our love for one another as a family is not being shaken. Matter of fact, the storm strengthens that. The storm str- And as the people of God, when we go through a storm together, when we look around and see that our covenant with one another is not shaken, when we look around and see that our anticipation of God's breakthrough is not being shaken, when we look around and see that our commitment to the work of the Lord is not being shaken, we can be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. He sees the storm different. But today he sent his word. Today he sent you his word. And he sent you his word for one reason. So that you can think his thoughts with him. And when you begin to think his thoughts with him, you'll begin to experience the storm the way he experiences it. Clarity is often the fruit of adversity. When God wants to clarify something, He allows you to walk through adversity. And often clarity comes as the fruit of adversity. You come out of that storm going, I see some things that I didn't see before. I understand some things that I didn't understand before. And I don't believe some garbage that I believed before. Mm. Sometimes the storm is just designed to bring the lion out of you. Sometimes the storm is just designed to break that timidity off of you. Sometimes the storm is just designed to just to just provoke you enough to where you rise up and say, no more. Not today, devil. No more. Mm. You can ride on the storm. 